When I meet new people, I do my best to not tell them I'm a pastor. Because that does sort of ruin the conversation from the beginning. If you know you tip your hand and you're a pastor, it kind of changes the way that people will talk to you. And so, I... I try to keep it a secret, but the reality is it comes out. It comes out whether I want it to or not. I mean, with some kind of conversation that goes something like this, people will say, so what do you do for a living? Well, I have to admit, okay, I'm, I'm a pastor. Well, where? I say, well, I'm a pastor of the church across from Westland High School. And then this happens every time too. There's a church across the street from Westland High School? And I say, well, yeah, it doesn't look like a church. Looks more like an apartment complex, but it is a church. You see, I don't know what they have in mind exactly, what they expect the church to look like, but that is the case. This is a church regardless of what it looks like, right? You could expect it to have, you know, it'd be painted wide and have a big steeple with columns in the front and a bell tower. Wouldn't make it more of a church, just a building. It can be in a place like this. It can be in a gymnasium. It can be in someone's basement. But it's church. What's the church supposed to look like? See, what's the, the answer to the question, what's the church supposed to look like, really doesn't have to do with the kind of building it's in. It doesn't really have to do with what you see when you drive up or what you miss when you drive by, as our case may be, because it looks like an apartment complex, right? But what a church is supposed to look like has to do with the character and the actions of the people who are part of it. What a church looks like has to do with the life of Jesus within the people who gather together and make up the church. And so, I think that that really is what the book of Romans is about. It's about creating a church that looks like a church. That doesn't look like a social club. It doesn't look like some other kind of, you know, civic organization. It looks like a church. And in Romans chapter 12, he gives us what the distinctive marks of that church are. In fact, he makes a list of them and says, here is a list of the things the church should look like. The things the church should be doing so that they look like people who love one another with a sincere love. And so let's, let's take a look at those verses, uh, take a look at that list from Romans chapter 12. I'll begin reading in verse 9. It says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with a brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Well, if that's 
what the church looks like, I think people would say, you know, that is what a church is supposed to look like. Right? That's what people want. Because that first phrase, which is the header, let love be sincere, really is let love be without hypocrisy. Have an unhypocritical love. And that's what everyone thinks the church should be like, right? Not, I mean, not hypocrites. And so it starts off with an unhypocritical love. But before we look at the list, uh, I just want to remind you of how the church grows into that kind of church. You see, Romans chapter 12.1 tells us that that church looks the way that it looks because it is firmly rooted in the Gospel. He starts off in chapter 12, verse 1 by saying, I appeal to you or I beg you because of the mercies of God. He drives us back to remember and to build our lives on what God has done for us in Christ. So that this is not a list of attributes that you should strive for and try a little harder to become. This is a description of a church that grows in the soil of the Gospel. People who firmly believe that they have been justified by faith. That they have peace with God. People who are absolutely convinced that Jesus is the satisfaction of God's wrath. People who are completely believing that there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Who are certain that nothing, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will separate them from the love of God in Christ Jesus. You see, that is the soil in which the church grows. And when the church grows, it looks like our list. But the reality is, if there is no church growing, if, there, if it doesn't look like this, and it's just soil, well, nobody sees it, right? It's just subterranean. And there are people who would like to be subterranean Christians and never be seen or noticed. But that's not what this is about. This is about a description of people who belong together. Now, I just want to stop here and remind you that the people he's throwing together here are people who, who don't necessarily even like each other. They're, they're throw, he's throwing together people who are not like one another, who are different from one another, who have different backgrounds, different interests, uh, who have different occupations. Some are slaves, some are free. Some are Jews, some are Gentiles. And he's putting them together and saying, here you go. Believe the Gospel and be a church. So a lot of us think that, well, I'm going to get along with people who are like me. He's saying, no, you're going to get along with people who aren't like you. You're going to be like those people who aren't like you. Now, I just want to illustrate this because I think this is super fun for me this morning. How many of you can name all of the instruments in the band? How many of non-band members? We got one. Two. Okay, that's two more than we had in the first service. So you guys are advanced. Good job. Okay, the reality is, you see, I mean, they don't always go together. I mean, nobody would put a trombone with a harmonium with a cajon in the same ensemble normally. But here they are. Here they are 
working together to accomplish something, working together to be a service to the church. And that's what he's done actually out here too. He's taken all the kinds of folks who are, who are different from one another, who have different backgrounds, and he said, here you go. Okay, you, you believe in the Gospel, you're going to grow into a church, and here's what it's going to look like. And he gives us our list. And so, let's, let's take a few minutes and look at the list, because I think the list will help you realize, and I, I hope that your hearts are going to say, you know what? I am so fully in love with Jesus and so thankful for what Jesus has done for me that I can hardly wait to do what's on this list. I mean, that's really the heart's desire of mine that I, I want to be this. And I hope you do too. The first characteristic um, after the ones we talked about last week, right? The, the headers have sincere love, then uh, reject evil, hold fast to what's good, uh, love one another, brotherly affection, outdo one another, showing honor. And then we'll pick up the list with do not be slothful in zeal. Do not be slothful in zeal. Now, I mean, some of you know that the New Testament was written in Greek. And Greek is confusing enough that we say, when something confuses us, we say it looks like Greek to me. Okay? But, okay, I look at this. Do not be slothful in zeal. I look at that in English, and it doesn't make sense to me. Like, what am I going to do if I'm not going to be slothful in zeal? What does that even mean? See, it's not a Greek problem, it's an English problem, isn't it? What am I going to do if I'm going to be slothful, not be slothful in zeal? Well, let, let me try and uh, help with that as best I can. The word zeal is a little bit confusing, but if you were to if you were to treat it and translate it the same way that he translates it elsewhere in this chapter, it would be diligence. So that's that will help us get started if you say, don't be lazy or don't be slothful in your diligence. In, chat, in, in verse 5, he says, if you're going to be a leader, exercise the gift of leadership, do it with diligence. In other words, follow through. Don't quit halfway. Don't let people down because you're the one that decides to just drop the ball. So it's a, that's the idea uh, there in the second part of it, the zeal part of it. And he says, don't be slothful in zeal. Which I, I think the, the best way to understand that is to, is to understand it in, in these terms. Don't hang back. Don't pull back and wait for somebody else. You be the one that steps in. Don't step back. So, in other words, don't step back from fully engaging yourself and following through. Be the kind of person other people can count on and don't wait for somebody else to be that kind of person. You see, people wait and hang back for all sorts of reasons, don't they? Some people hang back because, well, I've heard this, because they're introverts. So I'm an introvert. They, got, they have some label. Maybe I have some other label besides being an introvert. You, you know, the, I'm an introvert, so I, I just don't like to do that. I don't care what your label is. I've used that too. It doesn't work. 
Okay, that's why that's why he tells us don't hang back from being diligent because some of us have labels that we use that make us not want to. Some people hang back because they're afraid. Some people hang back because they're lazy. Other people hang back because they're just too cool. The reality is, he says, you're not too cool. That all of us need to be the people who step in, not to be the people who hang back. Don't be the person who hangs back and watches. Be the person who steps in and participates. And then when you do, be responsible, follow through, be trustworthy about it. And several of you are that, and I so appreciate that, and, and it means a lot to me that you are that way. And, and it's so important, actually, not just to me, but to the church that he says, that's what the whole church should be doing. The whole church should um, not hang back, but rather step in, get involved, and be diligent. So that's his first thing. Then he says, be fervent in spirit. Okay, this isn't any better in English either, is it? Be fervent in spirit. Um, the best, best way to understand this that I can think of is simply to be enthusiastic. To be enthusiastic. Yeah, I see. Oh, yeah, right. Okay. It was the, uh, the famous coach Vince Lombardi said, you'd better be fired with enthusiasm or you'll be fired with enthusiasm. Now, I can't fire you enthusiastically from the church, but that's the idea that what we are to do is to be enthusiastic. To be people who burn with emotion about what we're doing here. But we burn with emotion about uh, what the Gospel is all about. We burn with emotion for one another. There's only one person in the Bible described this way. His name is Apollos. He's a Jew. and uh, he did, He's a good preacher. He's a really good preacher. But he, he, he doesn't have all of his doctrine squared away. Uh, in Acts chapter 18, he's described as fervent in spirit. And people come alongside and say, here, let's channel this fervency in spirit a little better way. But the reality is, he gets it in a way that makes him passionate about what he's doing. And this is important because when we're thinking about you know, being emotional, I mean, one, in all fairness, that's one of the reasons we do music, right? It give you some... Help emotionally expressing yourself to God. There are all kinds of other emotions, other opportunities, but, you know, how are you going to be fervent, right? You know, I'm going to have my hands in my pockets and I'm going to, you know, sing something to the Lord. You know, that, that that's not exactly fervency, is it? And I don't know exactly how to coach this, I have to say. I've had this problem. I, I, some of you know I coach softball. I had a team that was really talented. Lots and lots of athletic ability. And, and I mean, they, can do, they could do physical things that were really amazing for girls in their age group. But, 
they, they were silent. They did not say a thing. They didn't call balls. They didn't cheer one another. I mean, we play teams and they're rattling the, the, the dugout and they're singing. That's one of the things that makes softball fun is that everyone's all fired up. Except my team. They're like in the dugout. They're not, say, they're not saying, you know, good luck. Or either, and they're just like watching the girl hit the ball and run. And, and I mean, it was, it, was, it was bad. I mean, it was the limiting factor for that team. So we had practices where we just practiced being noisy. I mean, I spent two hours there life here. You're going to make noise here. Do you understand this? You're going to be enthusiastic about this. We're going to practice it. And I had him practice running out to the field. I had him practice calling balls. I had him practice cheering in the dugout. And we practiced a whole practice, more than one, just being enthusiastic. And if you're not, if you, if you quiet down, we're going to run. It's that simple. But the thing is, I haven't figured out how to coach that at church. See, I've thought about it. That's right. Yeah, you're thinking too, aren't you? Yeah, okay. We, so there's some push-ups for all of you if we're not enthusiastic. You understand? I don't know how to make that happen. But the reality is, when the Gospel fully, fully envelops you, when you fully embrace it and, and get all of the beauty and wonder that is yours because of Jesus you know, it is going to get you a little more excited than you were before. Okay? And you know, I understand I'll take this incremental progress, okay? For some of you who are introverts or engineers or something. But nonetheless, that is what he's talking about here, is be enthusiastic. So, that's the second thing in the list. The third is serve the Lord. Serve the Lord. Now, this one's a little different than the others, right? I mean, slothful in zeal, fervent in spirit, loving one another with brotherly affection, honoring. This one seems to be directed not at one another, but at the Lord. And I think this one, this one reminds us why we're doing what we're doing. That I'm not doing what I'm doing I'm not trying to make the contribution that I'm making simply for my own satisfaction or simply even for you. I'm trying to make the contribution that I make for the sake of the Lord. And it keeps me... I mean, this, this is the great thing. So, so I, I, I pointed out the various instruments up here. I'm, I live in a family of musicians. I know that they truly love what they do. And they enjoy it. And uh, people play music for recreation and for personal fulfillment. Okay? I want to assure you that this group did not do that this morning. The governor on their music was not, I'm going to play for my own personal satisfaction, but rather I'm going to play serving the Lord. The, the goal of my service, the aim of my service, the, the audience for my service is the Lord. And what this does, what this does, and this is really important, this keeps me from needing to be the hero. See, it's really, for, that's been one of the things I've been learning. I, I should have learned this a long time ago. But it's very easy for someone to want to be a pastor so they can be the hero. 
to be the person who gets the call when somebody needs comforted or that, that comes and solves some problem or makes some decision or some, you know, does some great counseling so that I can feel good about having been the one that came and saved the day. But really, I think this is in the list so that I recognize that's not what it's about for me. What it's about for me is really answering to the Lord and responding to the Lord. So I don't come in to help on account of I want to feel good about myself or be the hero. I come in because I want to aim at pleasing the Lord. And they have a big governor on my own heart here. And I think it's going to do that for all of us so that we recognize that our interaction with one another, our service in the world, even our own worship, is directed not at other people so they think of us a certain way or so we feel a certain way about ourselves, but rather we are serving the Lord. Now, slothful zeal, fervent spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Rejoice in hope. Again, it's one of those phrases that you probably just would never say it quite that way yourself. And so it's a hard thing to say, well, what, what do I do if I'm going to rejoice in hope? I, I read a, a translation or maybe a paraphrase this week that suggested a good way to think about this would be, let hope keep you happy. Let hope keep you happy. And I think that's I think that's fabulous. I think that's really, really good because this is not a Pollyanna thing that we're talking about. Being Christians is not about positive thinking. It's not about pretending that there aren't problems. What it is about is recognizing that we have hope that transcends the problems. And we have hope and really, he's just going back through the book of Romans here. Romans chapter 8, he says, all creation groans. We're not the only ones that struggle. All creation has problems. And it eagerly awaits and hopes for the, uh, our adoption as children. The final day when we're called into the presence of God and He makes all things right. All broken things are made whole. All tears are wiped away. And we have hope that other people don't have. See, if you, if you don't have that hope, there may not be very good hope. But that hope makes me happy in spite of the broken circumstances in my life. Because the hope is better even then the problem is difficult. So rejoice in hope. He admits it again. Be patient in tribulation. One of the things, when this church is growing, when He, when he makes this church, it is, not, it is not something that experiences un... Um, Interrupted success. To be a Christian is not to have no more problems. 
To be a Christian, to be a church, is to experience trouble and sorrow and tribulation. If you don't have tribulation, if you don't have problems, you're doing it wrong. You see, it's just the opposite of what we think. Here he says, built into the fabric of what it means to follow Jesus is that there will be tribulation. Tribulation is a sign that it's working right, not that it's working wrong. See, some of us, we, we run into trouble and we say, oh, it's not working for me. The message here is, no, that's exactly the way it works. It is hard. And when it's hard, hang in there. Bear up under the tribulation. And again, I, I mentioned this just goes back to what he's already written in the letter that is so rooted in the work of Jesus that if you go down there, you can't help but grow uh, in this way. Romans chapter 5, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, there's, there in one sentence is the beauty of the promise that we have because of Jesus. We have peace with God. Through Him we've obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand. comes to us not because of our good works or our religious practice, but because of the simple, beautiful grace of God that we believe in. And so He says, and here He's using our words now from Romans chapter 12, we rejoice in hope. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings. It's the same word as Romans 12. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom He's given us. You see, woven into the very fabric of what it means to follow the man of sorrows is that we have joy in, that sor- in those sorrows. We have a reason to rejoice in hope even when we're in the midst of trouble. And so to, to bear up under the tribulation is part of what it means to keep your eyes, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising its shame. It comes with a territory we shouldn't expect otherwise. And so we're invited into a life of rejoicing in not... Notice what he said. It doesn't say rejoice in your circumstances. It says rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation so that you are following Jesus and that's what you should expect. Then, he says, be constant in prayer. Be constant in prayer. This is an interesting phrase because these two words are used frequently together. In fact, almost all, about half the time the word constant is used It's used with prayer to describe the life of the church when it got started. Twice in the the book of Acts, early on, it says, and they remained devoted to prayer. That would be another translation. Devoted to prayer. 
There's something about prayer that requires you to be devoted to it. It requires us to recognize we constantly need to pray. And so one of the characteristics of this kind of love that we're called to is to recognize I can't generate that unhypocritical love by my own gumption. So what do I have to do? I have to pause and say, Heavenly Father, help me to love the people in my life today. And I have to do that constantly. You see, that's the thing. I need, to, I need to do it first thing in the morning. I need to do it last thing before I go to bed at night. I need to do it uh, when I eat my meals. I need to do it when I drive to work. I need to do it when I take a break. I need to do it on my lunch hour. I need to do it whenever I can so that constantly I am turning to the Lord. And it's not something... Don't make it harder than it needs to be. It's really pretty simple. Right? I mean, this kind of, the kind of prayer he's talking about here... It's not memorizing something and repeating it. It's simply admitting, Lord, I really need help here. Will You please help me rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation? Because I'm not inclined to do that on my own. See, I think that's the beauty of this. this. This kind of church, this kind of Christian grows in the soil of the Gospel, but it's not natural. It doesn't come to you just because you want it to. And so we're constantly going back to the Lord in prayer. Be constant in prayer. Then it becomes more public. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Contribute to the needs of the saints. And here we have now, even more than these others, a corporate situation. A situation that is a community of faith. Um, really, the most practical expression of this probably would be in a life group where there's, where there's just a few of us. It's really hard to do this very well, contribute to the needs of the saints, in a group like this. I mean, what, do you, what would you expect? You'd expect maybe some big announcement. So-and-so needs $100. You know, how about if you, you know, donate, right? That's what it sounds like. Contribute to these things. You know, what do you fish around, get my coins out, clink, clink, put them in the offering plate. There, I have contributed. The, and that's a little bit of a misleading translation because of the way that we think about contribution. I'm going to pitch in and contribute. The, the idea behind the word contribute is to share in. One, one translation says, share in the needs of the saints. It's a word, uh, the Greek word koinonia, which has, means we have things in common. So rather than just my donation, clink, and I'm good to go, this is rather a sharing in the problem. So that your pain is my pain. So that your need is my need. So that rather than waiting for someone to t- hanging back and waiting for somebody to tell me what to do, I recognize you have a need and I don't you know, contribute. I share it. I say, here, I'm in this with you. That's the idea. I'm in this with you. And I share from what I have. 
for what you need and you do the same for me. And that's the idea of, of contributing or really sharing in the needs of the saints. And then if, that's, if, if that goes from my own private you know, devotion perhaps to the needs of the community, he goes even farther in the next one when he says, seek to show hospitality. Seek to show hospitality. And the seeking to show... See, we can misunderstand this too, right? It depends on how, how we roll with things. But seek to show. So, I want you to, to notice that I'm hospitable. I'm going to show how hospitable I am. It's not that. There's no show involved here. Okay? What's involved, the, the, the word translated seek to show, is really pursue. Pursue hospitality. Look for ways to be hospitable. It's the same Greek word as in the very next verse. You look in the very next verse, there's no seek to show there. It translates the same word as persecute. See, that's what people do when they persecute you. They pursue you. They're going to throw you in jail. They're going to hurt you. They're going to, they're going to come after you. And he says, you know what? I want you to pursue hospitality. Look for ways to, show, to be hospitable. Now, hospitality, I don't know what you think about when you think about hospitality, but you know what I think about? I think about better vacuum in the living room. You know, better set the table and, and you know, sweep up the kitchen. Get in, you know, in other words, have people over. But he's not talking about having people over. He's not really even talking about your house here necessarily. The word for hospitality is a compound word that means love for strangers. Love for strangers. And so, to be hospitable is to show love for people who are not like you. It's not hospitable to have your family over. If you're going to have a group over at your place and they're all like you, it's inhospitable. How's that? To be hospitable is to look for people who are not like you. And include them. Or you could think of it this way. To be hospitable is to help someone go from being a stranger to being a friend. To, go, to help someone go from being an outsider to being an insider. To, to, to help someone make the transition from, being, from having no place to transition so that they belong. And so he's saying, look for ways to do that. Be on the hunt for ways that you can help people on the fringes get to the inside for people that are not like you to be included with those of us who are like each other in that regard. And so you're looking outward now for opportunities. You're pursuing opportunities to help people make their way in. I mean, think about this. This would be glorious. It, well, it is glorious. When I see it in the church, it is so beautiful for me to watch 
you all use whatever resources, whatever time, whatever energy you have to help outsiders become insiders. That is just fabulous. But the reality is, this would change the world. Because one of our biggest problems in America is that we are so conscious of people who are not like us. And we are so unable to talk with them. We're so unable to to do anything but shout at each other. Whether it's social media or whether it's some march or whatever, we can't deal with people who aren't like us. And he's saying, here's an invitation. I want you as a church to look for opportunity, pursue opportunity to make strangers into friends. What a, what a gift that would be to the world around us, really, if the church of Jesus Christ did that. And so, you think about this, you really have just a beautiful picture of, a, of what a church looks like, don't you? Here is, here is a group of people who are, who are involved. They're not hanging back. Here's a group of people who are enthusiastic when the rest of the world is... You know, here's a group of people who are not about themselves. They're serving the Lord. Here's a group of people you can't even discourage because they're holding on to a hope that is so much better than anything this world has to offer. So that if it's hard, they're going to keep going to their patient and tribulation. They're going to find the resources to do this because they're going to be constantly praying. And if they do find something that's outside of their ability, outside of their control, there's going to be other people who contribute to their needs. And pretty soon the whole, the whole group of them is going to turn their arrows out and start looking for people who aren't like them that they can love. And they're going to pursue that. You see that... That is such a beautiful thing for a church to look like, isn't it? Wouldn't that be amazing? And may God help us be that kind of church. I, I, I just want to, before I'm done here, I just have to point out uh, that as we've articulated what we want New Life Church to be, uh, it we use our own words. That, you know, we want to engage those who are disconnected from God so they delight in Him through Jesus. I mean, that, we just you know, made that up, right? But I want you to see that, that engaging people who are different is right here. Seeking to show love to strangers. May God help us do that. And... So that they connect. I mean, that's in the that's in the phrase right before. Contribute to the needs of the saints. So that we connect with one another, not necessarily even out of our strength, but out of our weakness. So that we delight. It's right there. Rejoice in hope. We're not making this up, right? This, this is right here because of the beauty of the Gospel. We're going to rejoice and be patient and be constant in prayer. And then one of, um, one of our identities that comes right from that is that we're going to serve 
Not slothful in zeal, but fervent in the Spirit, serving the Lord. So we're just trying to represent best we can what we understand God's aim and desire and hope for His church to be. That we would look like a church that has been won by a suffering Savior who's been given grace that they don't deserve on account of the simple favor and mercy of God. And that we would respond to that in a way that puts what we believe about God into practical action in the lives of other people. So, may God help us do that together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to just thank You again for the reminder that this is beyond me. It's beyond me to want to be this way. It's beyond me to be able to be this way. And so, even right now, when I'm done preaching, I want to be constant in prayer asking You to help me personally to be this kind of person. Help us corporately to be this kind of church. And Father, may You be pleased uh, to show off Jesus because there's a bunch of us here who are living out what we say we believe in the Gospel. Would You grow Your church to be this kind of church, I pray. In the name of Jesus, Amen. Amen.